and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity and life and mission. My name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we're going to sit down with our good friend, Dick Foth, on Back Channel with Foth. Dick, it's so good to have you with us here today. Thanks. Always great to see your smiling face so far, far away. I mean, I'd like it, up close, but you're far, far away. <laughs> that is true. The the miracles of technology and Zoom, and um, yeah, we, we we enjoy it. Dick, um, people have been sending in lots of questions, and so uh, we're going to jump into some some new ones today. The first question says, Patrick Lencioni says that an ideal team member is humble, hungry, and smart. Smart being how your actions affect our team and how those around us. On teams, it is often our lack of emotional intelligence that derails us. Can we? How can we grow in emotional intelligence, and, and can we grow in that? And, and if so, how? Well, it's interesting because uh, when we were chatting before, we talked about Philippians 2, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And humility has to do with, with thinking of yourself exactly as you ought, not less than you should, not more than you should, and it takes people in your life to help you with that, I think. But the, the practical side of this is that when you're working with a team, whatever you think your mission is out there, you know, we're going to translate the scriptures for whomever, or we're going to open up this town with a, with a new coffee house or a medical center or whatever. Um, your primary mission is the folks you work with. If we don't get that right, if the team doesn't work, the work is compromised. Hmm. It's very simple. And, and in, in other cultures where you have strong personalities who go to the, quote, go to the field, a lot of times you get friction, you have sharp edges, you've got, we've never done it that way before, all that stuff. It's very interesting. Um, I read a book some years ago by Sherry Turkle, who's a psychologist at MIT in Boston. She wrote a book called Alone Together, hmm. and it was the impact of the internet on our lives. And she has this phrase that says, the internet considers itself the architect of our intimacies. Hmm. And, and they did studies. They've done studies since the late 1990s, since the internet came into play, of young people. And they have found that young people who spend lots of time on the internet and social media their their EQ, mm-hmm. their emotional quotient or EI, in some cases has dropped by as much as forty percent. Wow. Emotional quotient has to do with do I care about Aaron Sandmeyer? Hmm. Do I care, or do I just care about both? And hmm. I get to be on this. Oh, it's all about me. And and the 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 thing is. When I get on the internet or social media, and again, this is maybe more true for young people, but it, it allows both anonymity, it allows me to put my best face forward, and that doesn't serve the kingdom well. And, but the, the antidote to that is to hear Jesus' words say, now, here's the deal, both paraphrase, here's the deal, I'm going to leave, but I want you to love one another the way I've loved you. That's the, that's the gold standard, the way I've loved you, love each other. By this will all men know you're my disciples if you love the world. doesn't say that. It says if you love each other. It's like a couple with small children. 
who are hugging and hanging out in the kitchen and they start messing around and all of a sudden they feel little hands down by their knees because the midget, the little people have seen the giants doing that again, you know? Yeah. And when that happened to me, when our kids were small, I thought the kids were trying to break us up because I was hugging Ruth. And then it, I, I found out that they wanted a slice of the action. There's mm. so, there's something so attractive about people loving each other. Mm. That, that That's the force field. If you will, the only way you learn to love each other is to listen to the other person's narrative. And this is a theme in all these talks that we've had. You hear me coming back to story hmm. in our own country today, the cry of civil unrest in the U.S. right now. If you listen to the narratives, you start learning some stuff. And I be when I hear your story, I begin to know where to love you. And that's at the heart of any team, any corporation leaders I've ever been involved with. Any, any people, you can read books on leadership till you're blue in the face and they come back to this idea. If the people, quote, at the top or on the team love each other, they use the love word for Pete's sake in hmm. corporate America. <laughs> Not just that they love their work, if they yeah. love each other, it works. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Dick, a next question says, in your years working in Washington, what were some key elements that you used to disciple people in spiritual growth? I think in places where you're at, at high levels of a culture, and by high levels, I mean the people in governance or corporate life or whatever. And it could be the person in the carpenters union, some other thing, some right. leadership movement. I think proclamation in those settings come more by, comes more by presence hmm. than anything else. Hmm. People in Washington, D.C. at the highest levels live their lives in 15-minute increments. Hmm. Oh, you have 15 minutes to pop in, sit with them. And I almost always started so with, with how, how's your family doing? Because hmm. when you're in the limelight and CNN is following you around or Fox News is following you around every day, your family takes it in the teeth. Hmm. And that's not so different from being in missions work in certain settings. Yeah. Okay. That I get so uh, um, in, in, either enthralled or overwhelmed by the mission yeah. that my time and energies are primary are going other places. So time is a key issue. How can I use 15 minutes critically? So when, when you look at Acts 2, it says they met together daily for the breaking of the bread, for apostles' teaching, and for prayer. Apostles' teaching is who is this Jesus person. So if you have 15 minutes, and the question was about, quote, discipling, and discipling, short version is make a friend, take them with you, okay? That, that in that 15 minutes, I need to be able to ask about you and those nearest to you. I need to be able to say, um, what's, what's one or two of the biggest challenges facing you this week or this month? And the third thing is, how can we, let's pray about that. So having a time in prayer in, in across the board, whether people are believers or not believers, in 15 years in D.C., when at the end of the conversation I say, Senator Husitz, we have people out there who believe that prayer works, and is there something we can pray for? I've never had anyone say no. Hmm. Never. Hmm. Because there's something about prayer that sort of even lets people who don't believe there's a God out there hedge their bets. I don't hmm. know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, 
So proclamation by presence, understand that it's about their agenda, not yours. Hmm. Talking with people about their lives and their agenda. And you can do that most intimately if you take the time to invite them to your table. Hmm. If, if you're willing to invite them to your home, you say, oh, you know, I'm talking to a guy who's worth a gazillion dollars. I live in a rental facility where I pay 800 a month. Yeah. When you invite them to your table, you're inviting them into your life and there's no camera there and there's no microphone there and they can trust that you will keep your mouth shut. All mm. those things play into how this works with people in places of leadership. Wow, that's good. And so that was another question they talked about. Uh, someone said in was, how can we build that trust in discipling others? And so if I hear you correctly, it's inviting people to your table. Is, were there other things that you, you did to develop that trust? No, see, I think, first of all, if they like to do something, let's say they like to run. Mm-hmm. Well, you may not be in shape enough to run, but, but you might go walking. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever their interests are, even, even asking about those interests, even saying, show me how that works. Yeah. Maybe they're, you know, I'll just pick something here, fly fishing. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about fly fishing. I did it two or three times. But there's something about me taking interest in you. It's like Ruth, who is willing to lay on the floor with a four-year-old and do a puzzle forever. Yeah. And I have a four-year-old's attention span. I can't do that. <laughs> I don't do that. There's, there's a relationship that's developed. I think, and we know this in most of our contexts overseas, is that if you don't sit at table, you can't have a deeper conversation. Hmm. Because when, when you invite me to your house and you've prepared food, you have taken your time to go make a dollar or make whatever the currency is. You buy the food, you prepare it. You, you aren't inviting them just to sit at a table. You're inviting them into your life. That's good. And, and you know, most of the seven and a half or 7.6 billion people in the world don't, don't do the same kind of stuff. Yeah. But all of those people eat. Jesus went to the cross because he ate with the wrong, he identified the wrong people. Yeah. And, uh, I, and you know, you, our listeners know that they know it better than I know it. Yeah. But, but sometimes we say, well, I can't invite that high level person because I don't have the right. If you're in a British sense, cutlery, I don't have the serviettes or whatever. That's baloney. Yeah people will most often yeah. love the space that is safe. Hmm. And if your table is safe, hmm. I'll come there. Wow, that's good. That's good. Dick, we got time for one more question. The, a listener wrote in, how can we make room for the operations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our teams and in our relationships? First of all, there are numbers of gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I would suggest don't take a narrow view on that. When you speak of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, just don't speak of verbal gifts, for example. What about a word of knowledge? What about a word of wisdom? What about discernment? What about the gifts of helps or teaching or administration or any of those things that are listed in the gifting categories of Scripture? Um, I think that we talk to the Lord about that. 
and we say, I want to be used to express your personality mm. and your interests, because that's what the gifts are. Yeah. They are, they are applied or given by the Holy Spirit to the church to separate as he will, if my theology, if I have a right handle on that. Yeah. So I would say when you teach about these things, because practice comes out of teaching, mm-hmm. um, teach fully. Hmm. Don't, don't emphasize one more than the other mm-hmm. and, uh, and encourage people to then move and operate in those gifts. And I think growing up, it was that the gifts, and often these were gifts of utterance or verbal yeah. gifts, operated in a large group. I don't know that there's any basis for that, because in the in the in the New Testament, at least in the Book of Acts, mostly you were in small groups. Hmm. Mostly you were Jewish people in a person's house, so they're like ten or twelve people, you yeah. know. In and as opposed to twelve hundred yeah. or two hundred. <laughs> So, so I think sometimes our culture, depending on our traditions or our yeah. fellowship or our background or our theology, delimits how we think about gifts. And I would encourage people to explore that more. When we talk about the gifts, how do we think about them? And why would we want them in operation? That's I mean, w- what's, the, what's the end game in yeah. that? How does that work? So anyway. That's good. That's good. Well, Dick, we appreciate your, your insight once again. And listeners, if you have questions for Dick on Backtail with Foth, you can send those in. My email is in the show notes, and you can send those questions in to me. And questions are, are based off the, the growth capacities, and those are also listed there in the show notes. Well, we're going to jump into our interview today with Dr. Jerry Ireland, where we sit down and have a uh, conversation about missiological, missiological maturity, um, something that I can learn a lot about from, from Jerry. Many of us know Jerry well. He's now a professor at um, Valley Forge, and uh, but he spent some time in Africa with us, learned from him, has a heart and insight um, for compassion and how we can share the love of Jesus Christ through compassion on the continent. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings. It's so exciting to be here today uh, with friend, my friend Jerry Ireland, and we're looking forward to discussing a little bit more and a little more deeply about missiological maturity and the importance of a, a large part of this audience is either missionaries, pastors, or people that are involved and love missions and want to see the gospel spread around the world. And one important part of that is missiological maturity. And when we thought about that, we thought of Dr. Jerry Ireland. So Jerry, welcome to the show today. Um, could you just share a little bit about- Hey, it's great. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, great to be here, Aaron. Yep. Awesome. Could, great to be could here. Could you just share a little bit about yourself for some of the listeners that might not know you as well um, in the past? Yeah. So, you know, my wife and I and, and our daughter, we were in Africa for about 12 years. Uh, um, first in Zambia, uh, working with churches there, uh, working in Bible schools and, and helping churches develop their, their compassionate outreach. That's kind of always been a passion of ours is is to see churches fully engaging in their communities in, in ways that are within their own resources. And, and then more recently, we, were, we kind of helped oversee and guide compassion for the Assemblies of God in Africa based in, in Togo. Uh, and so we 
we're focused a lot on curriculum development and creating resources that would that would be good training materials to to equip churches um, to to basically be salt and light in their their communities and and that's uh, that's been our passion for a long time. Uh, about six months ago, I took a position here at the University of Valley Forge uh, and have felt a burden for some time to be involved in kind of training the next generation of missionaries. Um, one of the things that we sometimes ran up against in training missionaries in Africa was that by the time people get to the missions field, they they kind of have their theology of missions all all worked out and it's very difficult to make changes at that point yeah. because people have already decided what they're going to do and how they're going to do yeah. it. And they've raised a budget telling people how they're <laughs> going to do that. Uh, and so... So it's it can be really difficult to to create a paradigm shift at that point. That's good. And so um, so I felt like uh, you know we need to get start investing and and shaping people's missiology long before they get to to the point of being an appointed missionary. And and so now we're we're involved in that uh, through the University of Valley Forge. That, that's so. exciting. Jerry, we normally begin the podcast with this uh, lessons learned in the past. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, you've, you've written, you're well-educated, you got lots of degrees, lots of education. What is something that you've learned practically when you maybe a mistake you made or a challenge you ran into? You thought maybe, like you said, we, we raise a budget, we have all the answers, then we get to the field and we think, mm -hmm. oh, my lands, is this, this is not what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Do you have any experiences mm -hmm. like that where you ran into something and it didn't just necessarily go the way you thought it would? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Aaron, I could fill a couple of books with the mistakes I made in missions. Um, but early on, I would say probably my biggest mistake was letting uh, emotions and good intentions guide my missiology. Mm, that's good. Um, you know, uh, emotions are important. God created us to be emotional people. Emotions have value, but they can also be misleading. Uh, and, and good intentions just aren't enough. I mean, it's, it's very easy, especially in the area of compassion. You know, in Zambia, I remember when I first witnessed street kids, um, you know, I, I was just appalled that, that, you know, these kids, four five, six, seven, and on up were living on the streets and, and your, your first impulse is I need to help these kids. I need to do something. And, and so you give them money, uh, and then you realize that there's a 18 year old kid standing behind, you know, the land cruiser. Yeah who immediately takes the money from the little kid yeah. uh, and it goes to, it doesn't, the little kid isn't helped at yeah. all. Um, and, and seeing that um, I, we saw that uh, that happened to my daughter once in Togo, you know, she, she saw a, a little girl begging and, and she had, we had just gone to this, to a place to get some chicken and fries and, and, she uh, she saw this little girl and she asked, hey, daddy, can I give her my food? And so I, I, I didn't want to stop her from being compassionate, and I, but I kind of knew what was going to happen. And so we rolled down the window. She gave her the little food. Immediately, an older woman appeared out of nowhere, took the food from her and started eating wow. it. And my daughter just sat there looking at this absolutely horrified. Yeah. Um, and And it's just a powerful reminder of, of um, of how important it is to to be aware of the deeper 
realities that are that go beyond what we see on the surface um, and to have strategies and to have a missiology that takes all of that into account. Um, because if we don't, then we can just pour money into something um, that that in the end doesn't really make a difference. Yeah. Um, that in the end, not only could actually leave the people exactly where they are, it could in fact leave people worse off. Hmm. Um, and, and I think we saw that um, a lot in missions and that, that really began to shape my my own desire to, to kind of have a better understanding of things. Yeah. So. Jerry, you mentioned about the, the idea of, of emotions and good intentions and missiology. Mm -hmm. You know, this podcast is all about providing clarity in the midst of ambiguity. What is mm -hmm. something that has helped mm -hmm. you? Because honestly, I think that's something we're all faced with. What, help, what helps you find clarity in, in the midst of those situations where your emotions, as you said, are God created, yeah. they're good, they're good, but how do you, what helps you provide clarity? Yeah. Yeah, so for me, a, a key concept was, um, especially in the area of compassion, was I was at a, I was at a, a mission service uh, uh, in which Dick Brogdon was speaking once, and he just sort of casually brought up this, um, this whole idea of modalities and sodalities that Ralph Winter kind of first articulated, um, or at least popularized, and and it was kind of a new concept for me, and and uh, I, I was really intrigued by it. And so I started to just pursue it on my own and study it and read Ralph Winter, and 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 I began to see through this concept um, a a a way of looking at how we do compassion that radically um, did exactly what you're asking, brought extreme clarity to an issue for me that was at that time very, very cloudy mm. because, you know, in a place in Africa, you, it's, you get overwhelmed with the compassionate needs. Yeah. I mean, there's extreme poverty, there's disease, there's child soldiers, there's, um, I mean, the list goes on and on and right. on. Um, there's AIDS orphans right. and, and, and if you're a, I mean, if you're a human being, you're going to be moved by that stuff, yeah. you know? Um, and, and so, but, but this whole idea of modalities and sodalities, it, basically it comes down to this. It comes down to the fact that when we go as a missionary to a place, we're not the local church in that place. Mm. Um, and, and when that, when I got that idea, okay, we're not there to be the local church. We're there to plant and to strengthen the local church. Like this, this light bulb came on. Yeah. Aha, I had this this just incredible moment of clarity where I, I began to see, okay, if we're not the local church, then then that radically informs what we do and how we do it in the arena of compassion. And it means for me, um, it, it means that we as we look at the Great Commission, we actually go about the Great Commission in the way that Jesus said, and that is to focus on making disciples. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and if we focus on making disciples and strengthening churches and helping churches to be disciple-making churches, um, then we end up, as a result of that, seeing fruit that lasts far beyond the time that we're there because it's, it's fruit that grows organically yeah. out of the local church. That's good. That's good. Why do you think, um, Jerry, we have chosen or maybe we choose different ways than what you just explained. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I think, um, I, I think again, it, more than anything else, I think it goes back to this whole idea of, of good intentions. Yeah. Um, but but that's just not enough. Yeah. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times in Togo, and you, I'm sure you've seen the same thing in in your part of the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, people. I would meet people at the airport coming uh, as teams. You know, and and I'd ask them, Hey, what are you guys? What are you guys doing here? Oh yeah, we're on a missions trip. Very awesome. What you know? What kind of work are you doing? Yeah, we're here to work for an orphanage. Yeah. You know, um, and and there was no um, there was actually a a sense of pride in the way that people talked about working for an orphanage. And yet we don't do orphanages in America and we haven't done them for a long time because we know they're bad practice. Yeah, that's good. Um, and so why would we do something in a place like <laughs> Africa that, that we don't do in our own country yeah. because we know how, how, how institutionalized children become yeah. when they're brought in and, and the research, the research on this is, is staggering. I mean, it's, it's staggering and heartbreaking. Um, and, and it's, and the, these people that I've, I've met there, they love Jesus. They want to, um, they want to help kids. Um, but they, they just haven't taken the time, I think, to think through, um, the implications of what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and they make assumptions about people that are often not founded in reality. Yeah, that's good. Um, another another classic example for Africa is you know the whole clothing thing mm-hmm. you know containers loaded full of used clothing shipped to Africa after a lot of countries gained independence because it was assumed that poor Africans need clothes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know in places like Zambia, the effect of that was to decimate a once thriving textile industry, mm. um, costing thousands and thousands of jobs. Um, and, and for what, you know, to, to provide a bunch of clothes that people really weren't asking for and frankly didn't really need, uh, you know, but now isn't it true? Any African city you go to, you go to the market and there are piles and piles and piles of clothes, uh, at these markets that you can buy for next to nothing because they're so readily available. For for Um, sure. To Madagascar, the first thing they do is go through all the pockets to see if they can find any American American dollars. That's right. They're smart. They're smart. They go through (laughs) the pockets first to make sure there's no uh, gifts hidden in there. But um, very valid points. Jerry, what are some biblical principles or maybe some scriptural principles? I don't want to put you on the spot for scripture, but biblical Mm -hmm. principles Mm -hmm. that help guide you in this missiology, um, Mm -hmm. in your missiology. Yeah. So that's a, it's a great question. Um, so, you know, Ralph Winter, when he started talking about this whole modality, sodality thing, he kind of looked at it from a historical perspective, you know, and his point was that if you look at church history, what you see is that, is that renewal, the renewal of the church and the revitalization of the church often happened um, through, um, through sort of um, uh, movements that, that were almost like a parachurch mm-hmm. movement, like, a, you know, historically, he, he looks at, at monastic movements, mm-hmm. which were a bit outside the norm of the church, um, and who had a different take on things. Um, and who were were sort of specialized, um, but I think biblically you see this in Acts eleven through thirteen, 
you know, um, I, I love the passage in, in Acts 11, you know, Barnabas goes to Antioch um, because there's, there's a revival going on there and the church at Jerusalem says, hey, go check this out, see what's going on. Barnabas goes, he gets there, he realizes, hey, this is something that's going on here. I need some help. He goes and gets Paul, brings Paul down. And then it says they spend a year teaching the believers there. So they basically a whole year doing discipleship. Mm -hmm. Then the very next verse talks about a crisis. There was a famine that, that a prophet announced was coming. And, and I love what you see right after that is that it's not Paul and Barnabas who said, hey, this is what we ought to do in response to this. It's the local believers in Antioch who come up with a solution. That's good. And, and that's what has to happen. Um, uh, you know, um, because the local solutions will always be better than solutions imported from, from the outside. Um, and, and so you see this idea of number one, an emphasis in missions on discipleship. Mm -hmm. Um, you see, um, and then you see once the local church sort of takes ownership of these things in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas get sent off to, to another place to go plant more churches, yeah. um, you know, because um, they're, again, they're not the local church in Antioch. Um, they function differently. Yeah, so that's good. That's good. What are some, when we, obviously we're Pentecostal believers, we believe in, you know, in the power mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit. What are some, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes, you know, in the, the least the assembly of God world that I grew up in, sometimes where they say, mm -hmm. well, the, the Holy Spirit told me, or the Holy Spirit said this or said that. Mm -hmm. How do we bring balance in that to say, we, well, this is our missiology. We plant, nurture and partner with national churches. We partnering for an increasingly transformed Africa. What do we do? How do mm -hmm. we find balance in that um, from your theological perspective? Yeah, first of all, I think, um, I, th I think part of the, the problem in that is that we have a very in overly individualized Western approach to the church. Mm. Um, because if, if you look at, at how the church advances in the book of Acts, there's an awful lot of corporate identity that takes place. Mm -hmm. You know, all the believers were together in one place and they shared everything in common and the Holy Spirit was daily adding to their numbers. Um, and and so I, I think we need to keep that in mind as we talk about what God is calling me to do, mm -hmm. um, that that God um, doesn't um, that we even when we function as, in sort of the sodality mode, we function as part of a team. Mm -hmm. um, all of the church planning efforts in the New Testament are accomplished by teams, mm -hmm. Paul and Barnabas, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, and Timothy, uh, and on and on you, you go. But it's, it's always a team. And so if we have to have an, uh, in, in our theology a place where, number one, we realize that, that God guides us corporately, mm -hmm. uh, and two, where we're willing to submit our individual passions and our individual visions for what God is doing more broadly. Um, I think non-Western churches uh, don't struggle with this as much as we do in the West because of our hyper-individualism. Um, but um, but I, I think it shows a real lack of humility um, when we say, well, I don't care what you know God is saying to this organization. This is what God is saying to me. Um, I mean, you're kind of, you're kind of setting yourself up 
um, you're setting yourself above the community that we're called to be a part of, uh, and and you're sort of claiming for yourself some sort of 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 special access to what God is doing that nobody else in that place has access to. And I, I think that's really a really dangerous position to be yeah. in what, um, what, for the individual and for the community. So. What wisdom or counsel or advice would you give to somebody? You know, I remember when we got to Burkina Faso, we were new missionaries. Mm-hmm. We had no clue. Honestly, I didn't have a clue about life. I didn't know about being a dad, father, you know, all mm-hmm. those things. But you, sure. someone, what do you, what advice or counsel or wisdom would you give someone, Jerry, that maybe they're in that situation where they feel like the Holy Spirit's guiding them? What would you, what should they do with that? What would you give mm-hmm. theologically, missiologically, what would just submit to their leaders, but how can they process that? So they just don't bottle it up and explode, mm-hmm. but how could they process mm-hmm. that on a, on a, for, for health? Yeah, so I, I think number one, it, it may very well be that God is speaking to them, but but um, I would begin to ask and pray about how does this fit into the corporate vision of whatever I'm a part of, um, and what do others have to say, and what what does the community that I'm a part of, how can they contribute to the flourishing of this vision? Mm. Um, because again, I think it comes back to this idea that, that we have to have a vision of the church, uh, as a collective, as, as it's not, you know, we're, we're terrible about this in the West. You know, we talk, we tend to think of the church as being about, you know, my, the church exists to facilitate my spiritual growth and, and my walk with Jesus and, and so on. But, but I think the biblical picture of, of the ecclesia is much more robust than that. Um, and, and so I think I, I would just counsel people to, um, to submit their, what they feel like the Lord is saying to the community and let the community um, join in praying about it and shaping it so that it, it can become um, sort of the best that it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I, I, I think. I, I think that's what you see uh, in Acts. You know, I think you know. I think of Paul. You know, wanting to, uh, you know, he he had a vision to go somewhere, uh, and and uh, he had a, a plan. He had a strategy of where he was going to go and what he was going to do. Uh, and God spoke to him in a dream and said, "No, actually, I want you to go here." Um, and and in that. Um, he was able to bring others along um, uh, and share that vision with others. And, and they prayed and agreed, yeah. you know? Um, and so that, that idea of, of agreement, I think is crucial. And if there's, if there's not agreement, that should be, um, that should be a red flag, I think, because, you know, none of us, no matter how spiritual we are, um, are infallible. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and, and we have to remember that. No, that's so. good. That's good wisdom. That's great. That's good insight for us um, today. What advice would you give or wisdom would you give to a missionary in, in place, or maybe it's a pastor from the U.S. Mm-hmm. or different parts of the world, so that we can model missiology, that's biblical missiology, um, to those that we're influencing and those, maybe it's a pastor of a church, maybe it's a missionary on the field, maybe it's a business person that's seen something on TV and they want to do something about it. What advice or wisdom would you give so that we can model this biblical missiology that you've, you've shared with us today, Jerry? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it's two things. Um, I think it's number one, um, you have to talk to the people and listen to the people that you want to serve. Um, and um, because it, it's, let me give an, an example that uh, a, a lot of friends of mine are involved in. Um, I, I know a lot of good people who do this. Uh, let's take, for example, child sponsorship. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that that a lot of organizations promote. It's it's an opportunity for people to get involved and have a an individual connection with a child and get letters and send letters and all that. But again, just like with orphanages, the research on this is is pretty clear that that even though helping a, a child through sponsorship does have a long-term benefit for that individual child, the overall result on the family is largely destructive hmm. because most families in Africa have more than one child, mm -hmm. but often in a family of say four or five or six, it might be one child that gets sponsored. Mm -hmm. um, and when researchers have talked to the parents, um, the the father is made to feel inferior because he feels like Westerners are providing something for his child that he can't provide. The mother's desire is that the money would be shared equally among her children, um, that they would all receive, even if it was a lesser blessing, that they would all receive something. But often the organization's rules don't allow for that. Um, and so... Um, uh, and some organizations in response to this research have tried to shift their, their approach. Um, and what happened was their donors revolted. They said, no, we want an individual relationship with a child. We don't want to sponsor a family or a community. Um, and that's, to me, that's, that's shameful, honestly. It's, it's um, you know, I, I mean, the concept of the family is a very biblical concept. And if what we're doing in the interest of children is having a net destructive effect on families, um, then we ought to really seriously think through whether or not what we're doing is, is actually he healthy. Yeah, that's good. Um, and so, um, so number one, we need to talk to and listen to the people that we want to help. And number two, we, we, need to, we need to talk to the experts. We need to talk to people who know more about this than we do and, and be willing to listen. We, you know, there is, like I've said, there's a mountain of research out there about orphanages, about child sponsorship, about all of these different things that we do on a regular basis um, that we very rarely take into account. And I think in some cases, people just don't want to hear it mm. because um, they're, they've, they're convinced that what they're doing is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but, but there's often, it, it's just, and it's, it comes down to this, that compassion long distance is often way more complex than than we want to give it credit for being um and and that's why boots on the ground missionaries are so crucial because they know the culture they know the language they have access to people um and and they can um they can see things and and understand aspects of that culture that that you you'll never understand 
from 3,000 miles away, you know. So. That is a loaded statement and probably worth the podcast. Compassion, <laughs> compassion at a long distance is a lot more complicated than we would ever imagine. Yeah. And that it really is. And, um, and yeah. thank you for your perspective and your insight. Jerry, we just have, a, we have about yeah. three to four minutes left. Yep. What is, what is something that you're excited about? You, you're, maybe it's teaching mm-hmm. at Valley Forge, the next generation. What's something mm-hmm. that's putting gas in your mm-hmm. tank, wind in your sails at the present time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what, you know, one story, um, from, from Africa that, that I think really I've shared in a, a number of occasions, but, uh, there was a guy, uh, in West Africa, a student at the Bible college there who, while he was, his name was Titus, while he was a student, he started a, a ministry to orphans, to street kids. And, and what they found is they started engaging in this ministry was that a lot of these kids had stolen from their families and had been kicked out of their villages. And so they couldn't go back to the places where they grew up um, because, you know, as in Africa, community is, is everything and yeah. to violate community, it's, it's like the cardinal sin. And so the, my Titus and his friends would spend about a year discipling these kids. And then they would take them back to the village and they would say, hey, if these kids do anything from this point, point on we want them to be reintegrated into the village and if whatever anything they do wrong we'll take responsibility for Mm. um and and they've had incredible success getting these kids back into their home villages and and i i think about that in contrast of like what what i've seen even american ag missionaries do our response is often okay let's let's build a community center downtown to feed and clothe and provide school supplies for these street kids, which in effect ensures their perpetual homelessness. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so, so what gives me hope is, is that when we are willing to step into the background and take ourselves out of the, the limelight and listen to local people, the local church through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit will come up with strategies and plans that are far greater um, than what we would ever accomplish as as outsiders. Mm. Um, So that's one thing that gives me hope. Another thing that gives me hope is the students I've seen here uh, at the University of Valley Forge, um, you know, this generation takes a lot of flack for a lot of things. um, But what I've seen is that they're very community oriented. Mm. Um, They like to do things together. I think they're far less um, uh, materialistic than my generation is, even though they get a lot of flack about their devices and so on. Um, and some of that's deserved, but, but I think they're much more community oriented. And they're also, um, um, uh, they're, they're also um, I think, more willing to, to go to hard places um, and and do risky things Mm. um and so when i look at at this generation of of um of young people you know whether whatever you want to call them gen uh i gen or gen gen z or whatever um they they inspire me and i I think they're going to do great things in missions that's awesome that is awesome jerry will you just take a minute and pray for our listeners today that um what you've shared will be implanted in their hearts and minds and the holy spirit will use this podcast to provide clarity um in our life and in our mission 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so first of all, hey, thanks, Aaron, uh, yes. for having me on. It's uh, it's great to see a good friend and uh, connect with you. And uh, I, I just love what you guys are doing. Uh, so if you're ever in in Pennsylvania, you, you got to come. See all right. It. Sounds so, great, man. I appreciate it. All right. Yep. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing around the world. And we thank you for um, the love that you pour into our hearts that inspires us to do compassion. And I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to be sensitive to the greater complexities of, of the places we go and the things that we do and help us to um, embody um, uh, wisdom, help us to embody um, a compassion that is, is robust and, and encompasses the whole person and that encompasses families that's big enough for uh, communities and that is is spirit-led. And so, Lord, we thank you. We, we consider it um, an incredible honor that we get to participate in the mission of God in whatever small way. And we just pray, Lord, that you would use this conversation to continue to um, uh, foster uh, more effective missiological practice. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.